You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. We welcome you today. We welcome you, friends and family members of those being baptized. We say to you, welcome in the name of the Lord. We are glad you decided to join us today. I will say this as well to you, that if you have a desire and interest in being water baptized, uh, please see me. We have the means now to do that, and we want you to, to experience this, this, this joy of this moment. We are celebrating uh, the decision that a person makes to follow the Lord. And so anytime we have that happen, it is, it is an exciting thing indeed. Today I want to talk to you about the second part of a message about being led by the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit. If you have your Bibles, if you can turn to Second Chronicles Chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We put it on the screen behind me. If you're not new to church, if you haven't been to church before, you might say, well, I don't have a Bible. I didn't know there was going to be a test. There was going to be a text here. So uh, if you are here today, uh, know that we have that behind you to help you out so you can follow along with us. But this is part two of a series that I've talked about being led by the Spirit. In week one, I told you a little bit about what it meant to be led by the Spirit according to the book of Romans. And being Spirit-led is about uh, not being led by our flesh, our sinful desires, our selfish desires, but being led by the Spirit of God. God's Holy Spirit helps us to be able to be led and to do what pleases God. I don't know about you, I want to do what pleases God. More often than not, though, I do what pleases myself. That is human nature, isn't it? You know, if you want ice cream at midnight, you get up and you get ice cream at midnight. Why? Because you're an adult and you can do that now and no one's going to tell you no, right? Right, if you want to stay up late, teenagers, if you want to stay up late playing video games and no one's there to stop you, you stay up late and play video games. Why? Because you can and you're led by your own desires. You know, if you want to get up and go to the beach on a Saturday morning and drive down to Newport or you drive down the Cape, you do so because what? You desire to do it and you want to do it. But the difference is, is that when we're being led by God's Spirit, what we're saying is, God, whatever you want me to do, Whatever is right in your sight, I will choose to do that over my own interests and over my own desires. Even if it's a good desire, even if it's a natural desire, but God says no, we have to listen to the Spirit and be willing to be led by Him to do what is right in His sight. So if you're here today, we're going to be talking about being led by the Spirit in the second part of this as well. Will you join me in prayer before we get into the Word today? So Holy Spirit, we ask you to have your way in our hearts today. Have your way in this place. We give you permission to move in us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to respond to what the Spirit is saying to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you about how God's Spirit moves. This upcoming weekend, we have two services on Saturday night and on Sunday morning. They are two miracle services with evangelist Jesse Comrie and the Global Renewal Worship Team will be with us. They'll be doing two great services in which we'll be focusing on worship and focusing on the Lord. The whole desire and the whole purpose of these two gatherings is that we would see God move and do great things in the life of people. If you've never been to a Pentecostal church or an Assemblies of God church, you should know that we feel very strongly that the stories that we read in the book of Acts are not past history in which will never happen again, but we believe that in a God that is actively involved in the life that we lead and that he's available to us. And when we pray, things happen. When we trust him, things happen. And when we show up to worship him, things happen. We believe that's the kind of God we serve. But there are times in our life where we might feel as though that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, Brandon talked about it earlier, is that it's been a while since I've seen a miracle, and sometimes we wonder if God even still does that. Does he do that anymore? And there are some people uh, today, and there's even some churches today that say, you know, God did that to start his church, but he doesn't do that anymore. It's something that he used to do, but he kind of retired from that. 
God retired from doing miracles. He only did it to start the church up, but he doesn't do miracles anymore. What a sad commentary that would be that God started the church in power, but then abandons it to have no power throughout its history. We believe that God is still very living and active in his church today, and he wants to do great things through his people. The question is, though, why don't we see him move? Why don't we see the Holy Spirit move like we want him to? Or even the way that you may have used to see him move? It's certainly a valid question because there are times in our lives where we would love to see God move. In fact, it would, it would propel us forward. It would motivate and move us to serve God with a greater degree of passion and fervency. So why don't we see him move? I'm going to give you three reasons why and if you want to see God move we need these three things and if these ingredients are missing then we won't see it happen if you've ever made a cake or if you've ever made dinner for your family you recognize that there's a recipe right And in that recipe there are steps and in that recipe there are ingredients and if you see ingredients and you don't follow the ingredients, you're going to find that there's something missing from the finished product. It's like if you're baking cookies and baking a cake, and you see there that it requires a cup and a half of sugar. And you go, I don't have any sugar. I'm just going to use salt. And just think that that's going to somehow work out just the same way. It probably isn't. If you're looking at your directions, and the, the instructions say, you know what? It says bake at 350 degrees for a half hour, and you go, you know, if I just double the temperature, I can shorten the time, right? I'm just going to kick this up to 500 degrees, and I'll just put it in there for 15 minutes. I got news for you. It's not going to turn out quite the same way. Why? Because there's a way of doing things. There's a process to it. And I believe that's true in God's economy, too, and in God's kingdom, that there's a way that God wants us to do things. And we don't say that just simply because, hey, you know, we want to be religious about something. Understand that when I'm talking to you this morning, I'm not saying, hey, I just want to, to share this with you so that we can be more regimented or more structured. Instead, what I want to challenge you today is what we look at in Scripture, we see a certain thing occurring when God moves that if we don't follow it, we may not see it ourselves as well. So three things that are necessary if you want to see God move. Three things that are necessary if you want to see God move this weekend. So number one, first and foremost, God wants reverence. Now you might not know what reverence is. If you don't know what reverence is, it means that we've lost it. But reverence means showing God proper respect. The Holy Spirit can be grieved by our bad attitude. He can be grieved in the way that we treat each other. He can be grieved uh, when people tend to make fun of the moving of the Spirit. I want you to know that when God moves, everything comes to a standstill. When His presence and His felt, tangible presence is in the room, there is nothing else like it and you experience it, and everything else starts to fade away, and you all of a sudden are struck with the moment that God is indeed here. I want, to, I want you to take a look at Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Verse 2, and the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. All the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down to the ground with their faces, and they worshiped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, certainly he is good and his faithfulness is everlasting. You see, Solomon's praying a prayer of dedication over the temple that he just built, the temple that his father David had been given instructions for by the Lord. But the Lord said to David, listen, you're a man of bloodshed. You are a man 
uh, who is a warrior. You've slain many men. Because your hands are dirty, you can't build my house, but your son Solomon will build my house, will build a temple for worship. So Solomon is praying a prayer of dedication. Everything has been prepared for this moment. The temple has been built. There's a celebratory atmosphere. The priests are ready to do the regulations according to the old covenant law. Solomon prays his prayer, and God shows up. He shows up in fire, and he shows up in glory. The fire consumes the sacrifice, but the glory fills the house. Now, what is God's glory? It can only be referred to in the Hebrew as the Shekinah glory of the Lord. It is the dwelling, tangible presence of God at work in a room, uh, like a heavy cloud, like a thick cloud that you can almost see the mist and the vapor of there. So much so that when the glory settled upon the house, the priests couldn't go in there. They couldn't see what they were doing. They couldn't go in there because they couldn't stand in the presence of the Lord. God had filled the house before anybody else had filled the house. You get what I'm saying here? Before anybody else was in there, he was in there. Oh, that we would have that heart and that attitude when it comes to church. That we would come ready knowing that he's here and that we'd be prepared to meet with him and go where he is. God's presence fills the room and notice the reaction of the people. Notice the reaction of the priests and the sons of Israel and those gathered there. They go, oh, what do we do now? They didn't act like that. They weren't just standing around trying to figure out, well, what do we do? We can't do our religious things. We can't do our ceremonial things. God, don't you realize there's a process for things? Don't you realize we have to go in there and then there's trumpets and there's the reading of the Torah and then there's the offering of the sacrifice? God, you're kind of messing up the order of things. But they didn't see it that way. They stopped what they were doing, and they bowed down and worshipped, and they acknowledged the faithfulness and goodness of the Lord. When God comes into his house, when his presence is felt, we are struck not so much with God hating us or God judging us or that we shouldn't be there. Instead, we are struck with his goodness and his faithfulness and his love. And we go, how can I stand in such goodness and his glorious presence? Notice that we see not just once here the appearance of the glory cloud, but we see that it appeared to Moses in Exodus 40, 34 and 35, and appeared to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 10, 3. And 43, verse 5, Isaiah, when he was in the temple, he was in the temple, he was a priest and a prophet. In Isaiah chapter 6, he was mourning the loss of his favorite king, a popular king. In the, the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Uzziah, you know, Isaiah is just in the temple, he's grieving, he's mourning, and then all of a sudden God decides to show up. And Isaiah 6 paints the picture of, of God appearing in the temple. He's seated on his throne. He has angels surrounding him, cherubim and seraphim, and they're crying out the name of the Lord. As the smoke filled the temple and the pillars shook where they were, and Isaiah said, Woe to me, I am undone. No one can see God and live, and I'm as good as dead here. But God told him not to fear. The angel told him not to fear. And he took a coal from the altar and cleansed his lips. And he answered the call of God on his life to be a prophet to the nation of Israel. You see, God had shown up specifically with the purpose to speak to Isaiah. He knew Isaiah was there. He knew Isaiah was mourning. I want to tell you today that even if you're mourning, even if you're grieving... Even if you're broken on the inside, I want you to know that God is ready and able to meet with you. And he has something to speak to you. Not how terrible you are, but rather I've got something for you to do, but you need to clean up your act first to do it. And Isaiah saw that and he heard the voice of the Lord and he responded to the voice of the Lord. We must recognize that it's God who is in his holy temple. 
their response was to be convicted by the presence of God. They recognized their condition. They cried out for mercy, and God extended mercy to Isaiah. God is worthy of our worship. God is worthy of our honor. He's worthy of our reverence. He is God, the creator of the universe, the internal judge of all mankind, the one who holds the power of life and death in his hands, the one who determines who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. He is the same God today, the same God who has the power to heal or to raise the dead. He is that God. Listen, we have to have an attitude and a heart of reverence. That any time we come together to, to meet with God, it is a special thing. And to not treat it as though it's something that's casual or something that is unimportant, that we have the great privilege of coming together and worshiping God. That when it's time to worship, we worship instead of distracting one another. When it's time to come into God's house, we're not out in the foyer grumbling and complaining about each other or about life. Listen, when we come into God's house, let's come in with an attitude and a perspective that says we're ready to meet with God. Whatever happened before you walked in is unimportant compared to what God wants to do in your heart and life right now. Sometimes it's easy to complain. Sometimes it's easy to be negative when we're gathered together. Sometimes, dare I even say it, we sometimes joke about things and talk about things that we shouldn't in the foyer or even in the sanctuary. We say terrible things in God's house. Or maybe we become too casual or comfortable in our relationship and who God is. We can't lose our sense of awe, our sense of wonder, our sense of reverence and respect for who God is. Remember that he is God, and we are not. We must have reverence for God because we should know that God's spirit, believe it or not, can be grieved. God's spirit can be grieved. Ephesians 4, 28 through 30 says this, starting in verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as what is good for building up as fits the occasion that might give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let go of all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How is God's spirit grieved? He is grieved in our speech and our attitude and our actions. When the church gossips or fights or holds on to grudges, when people say things that they shouldn't say in church, and I know that sounds old-fashioned to some of you, but when we're here, let's not think about, let's not stop and, and, and forget where we are. That He says, don't let any corrupt speech, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth when we're gathered together in God's place, but only what is able and necessary for building one another up. Only when we do that, we can see God's reverence in his house. When we have that attitude, God will not move in an environment like that. We have to let go of the things that upset us. We can't go from person to person and say, you know, I'm, I'm holding a grudge against another person in the church. Or I'm speaking ill of another person in the church. We must have an attitude of repentance and forgiveness in God's house to see him move. Another thing that grieves God's spirit is when the moving of the spirit is mocked. I've seen this in Pentecostal churches. I've seen this in churches growing up. There goes so-and-so again. They're speaking in tongues. There goes so-and-so with another word. Or we make fun of what happens at the altar. People make fun of what's going on in the service. Or are we going to sing that chorus again? Or, you know, why does this person have to get so excited during worship? And when you kind of make, and there's people that make fun of it, like, yeah, yeah, okay, sure, calm down, it's just church, right? And there's this attitude that is sometimes negative. 
and critical when God's Spirit wants to move. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Listen, I want to encourage you today, if you want to see God move, don't sit in the seat of those who scoff the things of God. What's a scoffer? We don't usually use that word too, too much today. A scoffer is someone that's very critical. There's a difference between having a critical, being a critical thinker and having a critical spirit. A critical thinker goes, well, I don't know what to make of this. Here's my thoughts. A critical spirit goes, well, that's not of God. Well, that person, they're in the flesh. Or what's going on here with that? Why do you got to get excited? Why do you got to dance? Why do you got to sing? Why do you got to do all that? And we kind of just are critical of those things. Or we sit in church service. Listen, when we come together for times of worship, when we come together for these services on this weekend, don't come to church and lean back in your chair with your arms folded with a yeah, right kind of attitude. Or God, come on, do something. Let me see you try. Can I tell you that you're not going to see God move that way? God doesn't have to prove himself to anyone. He doesn't. The Pharisees used to say to Jesus, show us a sign to indicate that you are sent from God. Never mind that Jesus was performing active miracles on a regular basis. Jesus was healing the sick. He was cleansing the leper. He was sending people free from demonic oppression. And they're like, well, Jesus, do something to impress us. And I know that sounds weird, to us, but there's times where we come into services expecting God to do things for us. And we've got our list. God, do these things for me. And uh, I don't want to do anything myself to see you do them, but uh, it would really be great if you did them and if I stayed in my seat and did them and I kind of had a bad attitude about it too. And then you'll walk out of there upset that God didn't do anything in you. And the answer to that is, how could he? How could he when we have an attitude like that? We're saying, God, prove yourself to me. Jesus responds to the Pharisees. He says, a wicked and corrupt generation looks for a sign, and no other sign will be given to this generation except the sign of Jonah. He says, I'm going to die and rise from the dead again. I hope that's enough for you. But aren't you glad that God's still living and active in the world that we live in today? But if we're coming into church with a bad attitude, with our arms folded, or we're saying, God, prove it to me, or I don't think he does that today, you've missed the boat. You won't see him move because he's not going to overcome your uh, hesitation to that. God responds to our faith. He responds to our receptiveness to him. When we have wrong attitudes, when we have a disrespectful attitude for the Lord in his house, when we have sin in our hearts, the only remedy for this is repentance, which brings us to the second thing that is needed to see God move. We need reverence, but we also need repentance. Remember that he's called the Holy Spirit for a reason. The word holy means set apart or sacred. The word holy means to have moral or spiritual excellence. That's what the word holy means. He's the Holy Spirit. Repentance is the act of asking forgiveness for your sins and turning away from them and living for God. So when we say, God, forgive me for something, God, forgive me for my sins, we're saying, okay, not just to cleanse me and to to, uh, make my heart right, but he's saying, I want you to turn away from these things and walk and follow after me. Jesus often told people, when they wanted to become his disciples, or if he was recruiting a disciple, he didn't go up to them and say, believe in me. He said, okay, I believe in you. And off he went on his merry way. He said, no, follow me. And those who were called to be disciples left their old life behind and followed after the Lord, changing the way that they lived to follow in obedience to Jesus. John 16, verses 7 through 11. Jesus says this words to his disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, when who comes? The Holy Spirit comes. 
He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, for the ruler of this world is already judged. The helper Jesus was speaking about was the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the indwelling spirit that we receive upon salvation. And one of his chief jobs in the life of people is to bring conviction. There's another old-timey word. We're just full of old-timey words today in the sermon. We're talking about repentance. We're talking about reverence. We're talking about uh, conviction. What is conviction? Conviction is when God speaks to our heart and life, and he says something is not right inside you. Something needs to change in you. And when we, we sense that, we sense a, a kind of a, a little bit of shame in that moment, but we also sense this deep drawing from God to call us out from where we are to pursue him. We sense it like, I'm not right, but I need to get right. It's not, I'm not right, I need to get out of here. But I will tell you this, that sometimes conviction will make you want to run out those doors. Because why? God's dealing with the deep stuff inside of your heart. Your flesh will say, I don't like this, I don't like this, we're, we're not going to be in control anymore, and he'll want to get you out the door. Even the devil himself will speak to you and say, you don't need to hear this, you don't need any of this, you just need to leave now, your life is fine, you don't need any of this religion stuff, you don't need any of this Jesus stuff. But conviction draws us like a magnet. Conviction draws us to the goodness of who God is. That when we sense it inside, it says, I need to go pray. I need to get right. I need to see something different in my life. And that's God working on us. His conviction is not to point out to us how bad that we are, but how much we need him. It's his conviction that makes us repent. Righteousness, which essentially means right living. He calls us to right living. He calls us to holiness, not self-righteousness. Can I say that? Not to say you're going to be better than your neighbor who goes to the congregational church. It's not so you can be better than the person who's part of the Lions Club. It's not so you can even sit across from the person that sits here in this room so that you can say, you know, I'm just so much better than you. I've, I know so much more scripture than you. I've been a Christian longer than you. God uses me more than he uses you. That's not righteousness. That's self righteousness. And God has no use for that because that's dirty rags to him. But if you live right, if you follow after Christ right, he will lead you to become more like Jesus. God doesn't want another typical church member. He wants people that genuinely follow him. And that when God puts his finger on the thing that needs changing, we don't go, well, you know, I don't know if I believe that. Or, you know, that's for other people, that's not for me. God understands, he gets me. Me and Jesus, we're tight, you know. He, he gets me, he understands. No, we, we need to understand that he brings us to that place to move everything out of our life that is not pleasing to him so we can be holy as Christ is holy. Remember what I said about holiness. Holy, the word holy means set apart or sacred. It also means of moral or spiritual excellence. God doesn't call us to mediocrity. God doesn't call us to, to mediocrity in following him. So why do we settle for it? We settle for it because it's easy. We settle for it because there's no cost involved. We settle for it because, hey, you know, everybody understands and it's all about grace. Don't get me wrong, God's grace is present. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. But Paul even said in Romans, don't abuse that. He also is. The Holy Spirit convicts of the coming judgment that this world will be condemned and the ruler of this world will be unseated. That one day the Lord will judge this world that we're in. Are we ready for that? We need to have clean hands and a pure heart. Psalm 24, 3 and 4 says this, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who can approach the Lord? Who can see his presence? The one with clean hands and a pure heart. So that means when we come to worship him, if we want to see God move, 
we come to him making sure that we're right. Not that we did it ourselves. Not that I cleaned myself up and now God accepts me. It's recognizing it's the Lord is the only one who can cleanse me of my sins. He's the only one that can change my attitude. He's the only one that can shift my mindset. And when we allow him to do that in us, then we are ready to go and worship him. What did it mean by his holy hill? It means the place where the temple dwelt, the, pl- the tent of meeting, where God was. Moses wouldn't think to go before the Lord not prepared to meet with him. The priests, when they would minister before the Lord, they would uh, make sacrifices on the Day of Atonement, one day of the year. They would go into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And they would offer a sacrifice before the Lord. It was said that the priest, when he walked in there, he had tassels on his robe and he had little bells on the end of his robe so that when he walked around, you would hear the bells jingling. He also had a rope tied around his ankle as well. You know what that was for? That if he went to the most holy place where God's presence is, where the very presence of God was, and he offered sacrifice to the Lord, but his heart was not right, it means that God could strike him dead in that moment. So people knew if they no longer heard the bells ringing around, it means that he wasn't walking around anymore. And that rope was there to pull him out. And if you don't think that God does that anymore, read Acts 5, which happens to be New Testament, by the way. God doesn't mess around with it. So why do we mess around with being comfortable and being permissive with things in God's presence? We want to see God move. We have to have right hearts, right motives, clean hands. When his conviction moves on us, we must confess our sins and repent of them and turn from them. To not do it is like going to someone's house. Here's an example for you. You ever entertain company? and you wanted to impress somebody. You have like the nicer dishes. I remember growing up and we had the nicer dishes and the nicer dishes came out when you wanted to impress them. Anybody remember what cranberry ware was? You know what those were? Fancy, right? We had so much of that in my house. And if you don't know what cranberry ware is, they were glassware, they were colored cranberry. Fancy, right? Are you impressed yet? You should be. That's that top end right there. These days, you wouldn't even think of putting that. You're like, what is with your blood-colored dishes? Why do they have these here? But that back then, back then, that was, like, really cool to have that. But imagine, like, okay, whether it's your blue willow ware or you have your fine china, and you prepare an elaborate meal for your guests. You are just so happy to have them. You bring out the best linens. You put out the, the sterling silverware. You put out the, the, the best dishes. You prepare. You spent a lot of money. You prepared a really nice meal for everybody. And, you, you, and uh, everything's right. You set the ambiance. You've got the music. You've got the candles light. You know, you bring people in. You want people to see, like, you really spent a lot of time on it. So the atmosphere is ready for people to come and eat, right? The atmosphere is set for something beautiful to happen. And someone comes in there and they have no uh, appreciation for what you did, right? They come in there with their barn clothes, their dirty boots, and they rip a leg off the turkey and they put their boots up on the, your clean linen and dirt and manure is falling onto the table and they're just eating away and they just crack out a huge belch. And what happens? And as much as you love the person you invited over, you are deeply what? Offended that an atmosphere was set for one thing and someone totally ruined it by being irreverent. Right? The meal's ruined now. No matter how the rest of the meal goes, the, the attitude of the person, the irreverence of the person ruined it. We have to be careful of that attitude coming into the place of worship. When we come in, our speech is right. We're mindful of what we think, what we say. We're mindful of each other. We're mindful of our attention being on God. Listen, I don't care what else is going on before you get here. We recenter ourselves on who God is and our opportunity to meet with him. Because the devil will throw everything at you this week to keep you from coming on Saturday and Sunday. And he will try and ruin your day before you get to church. He'll try and ruin your day through your family before you get to church. 
I was in a good mood before I came to church, and then I had to get my family out the door, and now I'm ruined. And you know why that's important? Because have you ever tried to worship God angry? You can't do it. You can't worship God angry. Your arms will be like this. Thinking how stupid your husband is. How irresponsible your kids are. How difficult they were in getting out the door. Or someone will text you from work. Or your neighbor will give you a hard time with something right before you get to church. Can I just challenge you with this? Don't let it take you off of your focus. Recenter your hearts and thoughts. Be steadfast on the Lord and when your attention is put upon him. Choose. The atmosphere has been set. The dinner table has been set. All you need to do is come and dine. And when we do that and we say, God, I'm ready to receive from you, then God can do great things. So we need reverence. We need repentance. Thirdly and finally, you still with me? I'm wrapping it up. I'm landing the plane. I promise you it's not going to be too much longer. Oh my goodness, I've never been to church and he's talking for more than half an hour. Welcome, by the way. We do this from time to time. Actually, we do it. I do it a lot, so I'm just going to tell you that right now. (laughs) Third thing is the readiness to receive, a readiness to respond. On the day of Pentecost, after Peter was preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit, the crowd was deeply convicted by what Peter was saying and they asked Peter an important question. Acts 2, 37, 38 says, Now when they heard what Peter was saying, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They asked a question. Can, remember, the Spirit of God convicted, the message convicted. And they asked, what should we do? And Peter responded and said, repent and be baptized and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice what they did. They did what Peter instructed them to do. And it says that 3,000 people joined the church that day, decided to follow after Jesus. But what if there were people that go, yeah, okay, but what about that? Do I have to be baptized or do I... Can I just respond, or do I need to do that, like, right now, or can I do that at home? Like, what if there are people in that group that says, yeah, I know, Peter, I know we asked you what we should do, but what I really wanted to hear is something that I would want to do, as opposed to something that would be inconvenient for me. We sometimes gauge what we hear. We gauge what we see. God wants to move. He wants to move in us. And there's times where we ask God, God, what do you want me to do? And then he tells us, and then we debate whether or not we should do it or not. It's like, why do we ask the Lord's counsel to begin with? Why do we bother him with the question if we're not going to do what he says? It's like being mentored by someone and saying, hey, what should I do? Because you've got the experience, you've got the life, you're successful in your, your business career. What should I do to be successful? And then your business mentor says, hey, do this, and you go... What does that guy know? And we miss out because we've missed the opportunity. Listen, when God is moving, he will speak to us or he'll speak to the speaker or he'll speak to other people about what you need to do. But then it's in your hands as far as what you want to do with that. We sometimes wait and say, when I'm ready, when I'm ready, when I'm ready. Readiness starts when we decide, I'm ready now, God, whatever you have for me, even if I don't know the next step, even if the future is scary for me, even if I'm not in control of the situation, but you are, we say, I'm ready to follow you. Boy, it got quiet. Boy, he likes to yell at people. I'm not coming to this church again. You hear what I say? We have a decision to make. Sometimes people will overthink it. Say, well, I don't want to do that. I don't agree with that. Or I don't like what Peter had to say or the way he said it. Instead of responding to the message that's being, and the instructions being given. 
when the Holy Spirit starts to move on Saturday night and Sunday morning of next week, we may sense him speaking to us to do something. We may sense him saying, I need to go up and pray. I need to go kneel at the altar and spend some time with the Lord. But then you get up to move and you realize you're the only one. I don't want to be the only one, God. I don't want to be the only one kneeling up front. What are people going to think? People are going to think I have problems. Guess what we all do? We just don't admit it. Even lifelong Christians, even Christians who have been Christians for 25, 35, 40 years have problems and still need to come to the altar, still need to pray to God. But we say, I don't want to go because I don't want to be the first. I don't want to be the only. Can I tell you, can I challenge you with a thought today? What if someone else is thinking the exact same thing? What if they're waiting for someone else to go? And you don't go. And because you don't go, they don't go. And as a result, we don't see God move. We don't see people change. Why? Because we're trying to get over our pride. We refuse to acknowledge that we need anything. Or we don't want to be embarrassed. Or we don't want to be singled out. God's not about embarrassing you. God's not about singling you out. None of us are going to go, oh, look, this person's praying. I wonder what your problem is. I'm going to rejoice with you. I'm going to weep with you because I'm so glad someone listened to something I had to say for once. (laughs) Or more so that I'm glad that you responded to the Spirit of God because God's moving on your heart to do something. He might speak to you about going forward to pray or going forward for prayer. He might speak to you about lifting your hands in worship. I don't want to lift my hands. That's weird. What will people think if I lift my hands? You know there's people that lift their hands at the Taylor Swift concert, okay? If the Swifties can raise their hand, can't you? Right? Oh, that song. Come on, man. Seriously. But church, don't. Listen, I'm the kind of person that I, I'm always uncomfortable in my own skin. I don't know where to put my hands a lot of times. So you might see me do this a lot, which looks like I'm really upset with you on a regular basis, but I'm not. I just don't know what to do with myself. So, so sometimes this is the posture. But this is sometimes the posture for people worshiping or seeing. Why doesn't God move on me? Do you want him to? How about we put up our antennas? How about we show our surrender? How about we say, God, God, I worship. I don't care who looks at me. I don't care who sees me. I'm going to worship you because you are worth worshiping. When it's time to sing and worship, when it's time to pray, when it's time to talk to someone, when it's time to let go of certain things, when God moves on you in that way, it means he's present to move in your life in a special way and miraculous way. When you are standing under an open heaven, he speaks this way and he wants to do something powerful in that moment. But if you ignore it, if you ignore it, if you ignore it, the moment will pass. The motivation will go away. The feelings will wear off and you will talk yourself out of it. This happens so much and so many people miss out on the move of the Spirit. Because I felt like I should have gone up. I felt like I should have someone pray for me, but I didn't, I didn't want to be the only one. Or I didn't, think any, you know, I didn't think anybody would pray for me. Or whatever the reason is, and you'll have that intense wrestling match in your soul where, where flesh contends with spirit. Where it says, I need to go forward. I need change in my life. But you don't want to do that because, you know, you're in control and you're okay. And, you know, what if something weird happens and you don't know these people or whatever the case might be. And there's this wrestling match that happens inside you. Can I tell you, if you ignore it enough, they'll just stop. And the service will be over. And you'll go home and you'll say, well, see, God doesn't move. But he does. He does move. That's yeah, a Stephanie clap right there. It's like, that's what my wife does when she preaches, okay? So <laughs> you can see where we get it from, to become one flesh. So, um, but he does want to move. He wants to move on you. But he won't move if you don't 
one. It's like, okay, so it's like me throwing a ball. You ever throw, I remember when my kids were growing up and my niece and nephew were growing up, and we'd go out in the yard to play ball. And you ever throw a ball to a kid who doesn't have his arms out? <laughs> right? Here's the ball, little Jimmy. There it goes. Right off the chest and falls to the ground. Bounces right off their head and off it goes into the woods. And what did you want them to do? It's like, you stop them, you kind of take them aside and say, listen, I'm going to do it again. This time, like I used to have to tell like, my kids, like, put your hands out. Put your hands out. And when it comes in, even if you don't have great coordination, grab it. Right? So when it hits your chest, you know it's going to ricochet off your chest. And you're like, I got, I got my mitts ready to get it. So it throws at you, and they would do, you know, kids would do this really awkward catch, you know, like, but I got it. Can I tell you today, that's how God wants to move in us. God is ready to rest his presence upon us. He's ready to rest his spirit upon you. He's ready to do something amazing in you. But if your hands are down, and if you're kind of just distracted, it's kind of like you're the kid who gets hit with the ball and gets knocked over, Okay. Because you're not ready to receive. Be ready to receive. In Acts 3, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way to church to pray. They're not thinking about doing anything miraculous on the way to church. But outside of the temple is a man who is uh, born lame, and he's begging for money. And so they, he wa- they walk by him, and, and they, he, you know, this beggar asks them for money. This, this crippled man asks them for money. And it says that uh, in verses 3 and 4, it says that Peter directed his gaze at him as John did and said, look at us. It says the man fixes attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. The man looked at them with an expectation. What he wanted to get... uh, they didn't have, but he got something so much bigger and better than what they, you know, than just money in the, his hand. He received something bigger and better than he could have ever imagined or thought. Why? Because he turned his attention towards Peter and John and was w- willing and ready to receive. Unfortunately, in Christianity, we have lost the attitude of expectation. The, the man who was crippled who turned to Peter and John, when Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. It says that he was healed instantly from his sickness. He was healed instantly from being lame. And he, it says they ran and leapt and he rejoiced and praised God. I'm going to guess and say that that was probably better than anything he expected at that point in time. God is so much more than anything we could expect at any given time. In Christianity, we've lost the attitude of ex- expectation. We don't look forward to God doing anything. We set the bar too low. We don't come full of faith and desire to see him move. We do not attach faith to our current situation. And as a result, we don't see God move in the miraculous anymore. Our attitude should be one of hopeful expectation that we're going to receive something good from God because that's the kind of God he is. So how do we receive? By checking your heart and making sure it's right. By coming prayed up and ready for God to move. By not placing restrictions on how the Lord moves, but rather letting him direct you. Sometimes we come in and we're like, God, I want you to do it this way, like Naaman did. Naaman went to go visit, you know, Elisha. And he says, I just kind of envisioned that I would go to the door. And the man of God would come out and just wave his hand over the diseased part. And then he would be all better. But Elisha didn't even meet with him. He said, go wash in the river, and you'll be healed. And he went away mad. He's like, that's not what I wanted to hear. Can I just challenge you today that when you come on the weekends, don't try and direct God what to do, but let God direct you what he wants to do. And you're like, put up your hands. I don't usually do this, God. Put up your hands. I'm going to meet with you. Kneel where you are. Call your Call your neighbor, confess to your neighbor your sins. I don't want to do that, God. If you do it, I'm going to set you free right here and right now. So come with that heart. Come with that attitude. Have an attitude that says, okay, God, anything you want to do is fine with me. God, I come to the service praying for this, God, but whatever you want to do is fine with me. 
I am your child. I am your follower. You are my Lord, so lead me and, follow, and help me to follow you. Next weekend is Pentecost weekend. We have two services, two special services. When the evangelist comes, Jesse comes, his, his ministry has been marked with healings. Marked with healings. Marked with baptisms in the Holy Spirit. So come with an expectant heart to receive. Believe that miracles will happen this weekend. What I want you to do is come and bring somebody. Pray and be ready to receive. Pray for the people that will be ministering. Pray for the people that come. And pray for miracles to happen. And when you do it, don't just do it, but actually, you know, oh, I should really go to those services. Would you do me a favor and actually follow through and come? Can we just shock the daylights out of your pastor this morning by saying, hey, I said I would do it and I'm actually here. What an awesome thing that would be. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, wrote this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enlightens our understanding, rectifies our will and our affections, renews our nature, unites us with Christ, assures our adoption as God's children, guides our actions, purifies and sanctifies our souls and bodies for the purpose of the full and eternal enjoyment of God. God's Spirit does that. D.L. Moody, the 19th century evangelist, said that the effectiveness of his preaching changed after he experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit. He said his sermons were no different, and he did not present any new truth, and yet hundreds of people were converted. I would not be placed back where I was before that blessed experience. Church, I want to encourage you today. Yes, you could probably go on without having to go to these services. You could probably go, come to these services and not respond to the altar. But what would happen if you did? What would happen if you followed the Lord's guidance, followed the instruction of the one who's preaching the word? What could God do if we were just receptive to him? Let's come into this place this weekend with a reverent attitude, with our hearts right and cleansed, and with a readiness to receive. God, whatever you want to do, I'm ready. I'm ready for you to do great things in my heart and life. Do you believe they can do that today? Will you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you. We praise you today that you are still living and active. You are still great and greatly to be praised. Today, Lord God, I just pray that you would see our hearts. Lord, may this message move us to where we need to be, not where we are. And I pray it would get us out of our comfort zone so that when the time comes to respond, we will respond. Lord, we're not going to respond today. Lord, you want to create anticipation for this weekend. So, Lord, move us to move closer to you. Help us to bring people that need to hear your message and your truth. Help us to believe you for the impossible. And help us to be okay with whatever you want to do this weekend. So work in us, move in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Before Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.